Welcome to this episode of Mission Business, a podcast about good business for those in the business of good, presented by your part-time controller, LLC, also known as YPTC. My name is Jennifer Oliva, the host of Mission Business and managing partner at YPTC. On this episode of Mission Business, I spoke with Suleiman Rahman. Chief Executive Officer of Diverse Force, an organization that provides recruiting and consulting services, including how to develop and retain talent to companies seeking to develop a diverse workforce. Additionally, Suleiman and Diverse Force have partnered with the University of Pennsylvania to create Diverse Force on Boards, a board governance and leadership development program for mid to senior level professionals of color. The program is growing from its roots in Philadelphia to having a national reach with over 300 nonprofit matching partners nationally for the program's graduates to potentially serve as board members. You'll hear how Suleiman's experience as a young boy growing up in two very different neighborhoods in Philadelphia, his experiences as a student at the University of Pennsylvania, and his involvement serving on boards as a young man of various organizations, including Philadelphia Industrial Development Corp, or PIDC, and the Community College of Philadelphia, or CCP, and others, led him to create a program that has provided a new framework for board leadership. And now my conversation with Suleiman Rahman. Suleiman, thank you for joining us on Mission Business Podcast. It's great to see you. I think the last time I saw you was at the Women in Nonprofit Leadership Conference in 2019. That's right. That's right. Pre-pandemic. It's uh, great to see you as well, Jen. It's been uh, obviously an adventure over the last 18 months, but uh, really good to, to be here and be a part of this podcast. Well, we're very happy to have you. Uh, I'm really excited to hear about your story and also all of the work that you're doing uh, with equity on boards of nonprofit organizations. So let's talk about your actual day job, I guess, your, you, the work that you do with your company, Diverse Force. You're the CEO. Um, what is Diverse Force and what do they do and how do you do it? Well, we started Diverse Force Gen uh, in 2017, and it's really an evolution of a business, a professional network that we built over uh, a number of over over a decade, over 18,000 professionals uh, in the greater Philadelphia region. Uh, we started Diverse Force as a talent solutions, human capital solutions firm with the intersection of diversity, equity, and inclusion, where we do advisory services around that as well. And uh, we launched Diverse Force in 2017. Uh, we have an executive uh, search firm. Uh, we help mission-based organizations, mission-driven organizations to find their next leaders. Uh, we also do leadership development for professionals of color, uh, diverse professionals, and as I mentioned, consultancy services to help organizations to be more inclusive as well. I'm, I want to go back to your network that you built back before Diverse Force, UPPN. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that and how that all got going. Being from Philadelphia, uh, I went on to uh, University of Pennsylvania. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Penn, but a lot of the students who are at Penn, particularly those who are professionals of color and young professionals, were not from Philadelphia. Uh, they were a lot of from uh, private schools in, in New York and D.C. And so I was the go to when it came to events, uh, getting off campus and connecting with others, finding events that, you know, that were interesting and, and, and safe, you know, at the time when Philadelphia 
downtown wasn't as evolved as it is today. Um, so we were able to build a, a web platform called Urban Philly. And we started the email list that eventually grew to over 30,000 subscribers. We were kind of the go-to for events going on in the city. And as we matured and our network matured, uh, we realized we wanted to do more than, you know, hang out and, and go to different restaurants and bars in the city and social events, but also to be engaged in the city, to give back in meaningful ways, to empower ourselves, to advance our careers, grow businesses, and to connect with other wow. professionals throughout the region. So we started UPPN in 2007 uh, with the mission to, to do exactly that, engage, empower, and connect the next generation of business and civic leaders. Um, that was a whole different kind of list that we built outside of the urban Philly uh, for those professionals who are looking to, uh, again, to partake in networking events, empowerment events, book signings, and give back through volunteerism, mentorship, being role models and uh, mentors, obviously young people to, to continue to pass that, you know, kind of those pathways of, of professional careers to the next generation, give them exposure to see new opportunities. And uh, so, you know, doing that, you know, led to uh, many of the things we're doing today. That's that's an amazing story. I mean, it, you come a long way from being an electrical engineering major at UPenn. How did did you ever use that degree uh, in the work that you're doing? I always say uh, I'm an engineer in solving problems. You know, I don't do uh, much electricity, but uh, <laughs> I try to stay away from electricity. I'm, I'm not safe around electricity, but uh, but the systems thinking definitely comes into play today. You know, thinking about how to solve problems in that way. That's that's incredible. Uh, so you went from University of Pennsylvania, UPPN network that you grew, Diverse Force started, and then it kind of melded into another relationship with University of Pennsylvania, or a relationship with University of Pennsylvania and Diverse Force. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, um, you know, when we started Diverse Force, we wanted to continue intersecting with what our UPPN network was about, which was about putting people first, impact first. Um, so as soon as we started Diverse Force, we were already looking for ways to intersect kind of leadership development with impact. So we uh, had an idea to start Diverse Force on boards. Uh, mostly from my experience, uh, when I started UPPN and had this network of professionals, became a convener of a hard-to-reach network in Philadelphia, uh, a lot of boards started reaching out to me uh, to serve on board. So this is, uh, I was early 30s and, you know, the young involved Philadelphia and, and uh, Philadelphia Film Society I was serving on their board. And in 2009, I became, uh, actually I became a board member for the African American Chamber of Commerce. Wow. And by 2010, they asked me to chair the board. How old were you when you're the chair of the board of um, the African American Chamber? 33 yeah, I was years 33 old. 33 years old. I so mean, 11, 11 years ago, I uh, was the chairman of the board. And uh, so I'm now meeting politicians and the mayor. And the mayor appointed me to PIDC's board as well. So I think I was the youngest uh, person on that board at the time. And recognize that you know the nonprofit sector is really the epicenter of of cross sector collaboration to to solve some of the city's most challenging cha uh, problems in the city and i knew that i could bring voice to the board i knew i had a unique perspective i knew i saw things differently but sometimes you get caught up in the echo chamber you know you, you don't know when how do you insert your 
your message, how to navigate the boards. These are powerful. Many times you're in proximity of a lot of power and you don't want to, you know, put your foot in your mouth. But, uh, you know, so I, I knew at that time that it did take some some understanding of what the role is of a, of a, of a board member in order to truly bring your full voice to the board and insert uh, your story and perspective in a way that was useful and, and, and moved the agenda forward. So I always knew, you know, especially chairing the board, it's kind of baptism by fire, learning Robert's rules and <laughs> all kinds of things. And, um, you know, even today with, with the program, I tell people, no one, you know, none of you need to go through a board pro training program to qualify to serve on a board um, because everyone should have the right to serve on a board at the same level of incompetence as everyone else. <laughs> because I, I knew that uh, there was no uh, qualification for me to serve on a board. You know, I brought myself, but, you know, just kind of learned myself and, and continue to learn today. Let's get into the diverse force on board program. Uh, how does that actually work? How does somebody get on into the program? Yeah, great question. And I'll answer the question you asked as well. How do we you know, start with Penn? So we asked, we started to search for partners, so, uh, educational partners. We looked at uh, LaSalle. We looked at others. And through a uh, mutual uh, relationship and being an alum of Penn, you know, found myself in, in conversation with Penn. And so Penn is a, an instructional partner. They're, a, they're actually an impact evaluation as well, which is what Impact Ed uh, focuses in on. And um, so we had a great evaluation partner. We we're able to work together to build out what does it look like to be a good, you know, uh, good, good governance, intersecting diversity, equity and inclusion, as well as leadership development for folks to uh, use those experiential opportunities to also uh, just become better leaders as well. Uh, we go into financial kind of storytelling, financials, understanding the, the P&L, you know, the balance yeah. sheet. Uh, you yeah, know, familiar with how, that. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And, and in a different language that, you know, obviously the nonprofit speaks, but similar, very similar documents, obviously, um, that, you know, nonprofits are, are non-distribution of profit is a, you know, tax designation. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, you want to be, uh, and, you know, have have earnings and and be able to be sustainable as well and understand how the numbers tell a story as well. That's right. Uh, also, kind of fundraising. You know, one of the goals of, of being a board member is to be a good fundraiser. We talk about strategic planning. We talk about kind of fiduciary responsibilities and and some of the governance things that make boards work efficiently. It sounds like an amazing program. So you have the program, you're, you have the students going through the program, and then you have nonprofits in need of board members. How does the matching process work? Yeah, so it's been evolving, uh, Jen, over the years. Uh, we went from just a few, couple, couple dozen nonprofits who were looking for, for matches where we were a little bit more manual uh, to now we're 300 nonprofits who've signed up as board matching partners. Uh, we've uh, been fortunate to uh, have matched, uh, have filled over 140 board seats and growing almost you know every week with new new matches and folks who are uh, sending into executive uh, all into the to, to the executive committee and 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 different officer positions. So it's really great to see you know early on the theory of change that we can connect folks with boards, but also they can make sure their presence is felt and get into leadership positions as well. Uh, tell me a little bit about any success stories that you really that stand out to you about the board matches and the real difference that uh, 
individuals that went through the Diverse Force on Boards program, they, the impact that they have made? Yeah, great question. Um, so many, so many great stories. I'll I'll share um, uh, Melinda, Melinda uh, Johnson. Melinda went through our board program. She was a uh, uh, worked at a university as a kind of a director of operations, if you will. Uh, went through the board program and really just raved about how it helped her with her confidence, helped her to understand that she belonged at the table. Um, she, you know, once graduating the program, gave her the confidence as she run for her school board uh, in New Jersey, and she won. Uh, she became one of the school <laughs> board members uh, in New Jersey. Um, she took some time off and was really rethinking her career. Uh, we connected her to uh, William Penn Foundation, was a was a sponsor of, the, of, of that uh, cohort uh, in the aquatics science, Aquarium for the Aquatic Science in New Jersey. It was a, a William Penn Foundation grantee that uh, she was actually matched to their board. Uh, shortly later, she was... Uh, she was actually uh, became the chair of the development committee. Wow. So brought some really great insights what? around fundraising. And uh, later she actually uh, became a part of our diverse slate product with that diverse force where we actually were able to, we were actually doing a, a search for Compass Pro Bono. Uh, they were looking for their next executive director. Uh, we had already placed two board members on onto the board of Compass Pro Bono. Um, and we uh, actually helped them to have a diverse slate of candidates, and Melinda fit the bill to uh, to be one of the candidates, and she ended up being their final selection. So she's now the new executive director. You know, within the last maybe six months of Compass Pro Bono, and and uh, just you know all the she has two alumni uh, that are part of the board as well that can uh, have you know understand kind of some of the diversity things that she may want to move forward and have more of a voice. Uh, many times when you have one or just two people on a board and, and don't really have, or, or you're an executive director and don't have the diversity on the board, uh, you can find yourself trying to communicate things that others can't relate with and don't really have. Um, sometimes the, the reinforcement or other perspectives that can also reinforce some of the ideas you have. Now, we've placed folks in executive director roles and They'll say things like I've never one person said I've never felt more misunderstood by the board uh, when bringing some of the lived experiences they've had and trying to bring that to an organization that may not be as inclusive from a board perspective. Yeah. So tell me, about, is the program Diverse Force on Boards only Philadelphia based? Or are you seeking to expand that? Uh, and if some of the organizations that are seeking board members uh, can Anyone from around the country uh, be part of this now that we're in this virtual world? <laughs> well, that's been the silver lining, you know, Jen, of uh, the yeah. pandemic. And we even before uh, COVID, we were thinking about how do we uh, expand geographically? Can we move this to be more of a virtual cohort based model? So during that time, you know, and the question was, uh, was Zoom and some of these other platforms, was the market adoption strong enough yet? And, uh, and COVID uh, forced, <laughs> forced market adoption. Uh, we knew it would happen at some point, but was it to the right time? And COVID really accelerated that and, and pretty much answered that question. And we were able to, you know, in partnership with Penn, convert the program 100% online. Uh, we finished up cohorts that were kind of disrupted during that time. And uh, so we had almost three co two cohorts finishing together and we started our, our cohort six 
which uh, was full 100% virtual and and just just as good of return as far as the three views and the impact yeah. was yeah. just as powerful. So uh, we we now opened up and we have um, and we were already having folks who are enrolling uh, from outside of the greater Philadelphia area. So we're now very strategically uh, building and and expanding folks all across the country as well. Well, that's fantastic because Mission Business Podcast is a national podcast. So maybe Beautiful. you'll get some more interest uh, with this. Uh, but is Absolutely. it Melinda that you were telling the story yes. uh, about? Uh, that is very impactful. I wanted to go back to that just for a minute because of the fact that it's not just the boards that are really benefiting. And of course, the organizations that they're serving, all of their constituents that are benefiting from this program. It's the actual person in the program that is developing new skills and new confidence uh, to do amazing things. So I I just didn't want that point to go unnoticed. I needed to just put a, I guess, exclamation point on it because I think that is just so cool. Absolutely. And we see, we have partners like Comcast and Accenture and and others who are in, who are investing in their talent that go through the board program, Elsevier, uh, Capital One, uh, who are investing in their talent, and they recognize that that board service does make stronger leaders, uh, and not only the corporate social responsibility, but also the opportunity for their 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 high potential talent to uh, continue to grow themselves as leaders as well. Your part-time controller, the nonprofit accounting specialist, helps nonprofits everywhere navigate the new landscape by supporting them with their U.S.-based remote services accounting staff. With over 700 nonprofit clients from coast to coast, YPTC assists with all your financial management needs. From bookkeeping and monthly financial statements to forecasting, budgeting, and customized dashboards, we help executive directors and board members sleep at night. More at YPTC.com. I'm now going to just shift conversation a little bit to your board experience and then just go into your thoughts about um, more deeply about equity on boards. So you talked a little bit about your board experience, PIDC, and as a 33-year-old young man and young black man on these boards. Tell me a little bit about that experience, you know, on these traditionally um, white boards that, Mm -hmm. you know, here comes Suleiman. You know, what... (laughs) You know, yeah. how do you get your voice heard? And then how does that um, kind of help you direct how you want to help others uh, in their board service? Absolutely. And serving on some of those boards at that time, being young, being a minority on the board, you know, there is it is sometimes difficult not to have kind of that imposter syndrome creep in, you know, and, and just happy to be there and kind of be quiet and just listen and and not really quite know when to insert yourself and whether it will be received, you know, in a way that uh, it, it was intended to make the organization better. So uh, one of the things that I, I recognize was that a board program like Diverse Force on Boards, and, and, th- and there was a time lapse between uh, me serving on those boards. I stepped down from all the boards in 2012 that I was serving on at the time, um, moved out to Bluebell and had a business that took me traveling and speaking and training leaders. Uh, across the country for for a few years. So it wasn't until about 2016 that I moved back into the city and really wanted to re-pick back up uh, UPPN events. We were doing UPPN events during that time, engaging Mm -hmm. that network, but it wasn't really a a revenue model around it. So how do we 
take our UPPN network and continue to cultivate and build those leaders and make sure we're meeting their human needs, but also have an intersection of value with organizations and companies that over the years have reached out to me for talent, reached out for me for board members, you know, and so many different things. And Diverse Force was born out of that, that intersection of value. How do we make sure that these board, that folks can serve in, on, on boards of organizations, serve in leadership roles, um, develop themselves, help organizations to retain their talent. And that's where Diverse Force became kind of a, you know, a, a model where we could actually have a, a revenue model as well to uh, invest back into the talent. So um, I love that. I love that. It led. Uh, so boards in general, mm-hmm. how would you describe an effective board? Yeah, an effective board uh, would be one, a board that has a diversity of background skills, um, making sure it really rounds out uh, the, the talent that you need to complement the, the, the team that you have, uh, whether you're a small organization and don't have any employees, uh, you're a mid-sized organization or a large organization, will determine what type of board members will help to, to round out uh, the skills you need for, for that board. Two is a board that is uh, mission driven, you know, really focus on the mission at hand and is keeping the organization uh, obviously uh, in compliance uh, with uh, all the laws, which is from a fiduciary perspective, a board that's also helping the organization be strategic, you know, working in partnership with the executive director to have a strategic vision with external factors and internal factors all in mind and, and the causes that you're looking to develop. Uh, and and, and so the so issues you're looking to solve, and also a board that can bring some more generative thought as well, bring perspectives and fill blind spots uh, that uh, that the organization may have to really have an accuracy of solutions uh, and truly help to uh, you know think think differently. Things are constantly changing, and how do you make sure that you can bring external kind of perspective and thoughts from a diversity of different organizations and, and backgrounds and have that constructive conflict. I always encourage organizations to have as a board to have constructive conflict, not not destructive conflict where you're, you know, you're at it at each other and, and arguing over, you know, and, and, and tearing down relationships, but instead idea conflict. How do we see things differently and find common ground, but keeping the, the North Star, the mission in mind to mm. make sure that we're constantly stress right. testing the ideas that we have and not having that yeah. persistence of thought and doing things just because we've done yeah. it for so long um, to really <laughs> think, think differently. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, interesting, <laughs> I didn't hear you say too much about fundraising or financial management, which is so funny because often boards think that that is our first and foremost job is to raise money for this organization. <sighs> and oftentimes it is, but very often it, that could be lower than just pursuing this diversity of thought and strategic planning that is necessary. Absolutely. And I think that we've gotten to this culture and obviously it's so important that the board support around the financial uh, uh, sustainability of the organization, but we must go beyond the check. You know, that's such an important role uh, in the organization to go beyond just what a person can get or give, uh, but what they can bring to the table to to help again the organization in, in all those different ways. Sulman, I guess you would say, you know, the people that are closest with the money aren't closest with the solutions. What, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, folks who just who have the money are not closest to the solutions. Uh, many in many cases, 
Um, in some cases, they are. Uh, but making sure that uh, we don't uh, leave out people that could add tremendous value on the board because they may not be able to get or give uh, what everyone else is giving around the board. Uh, many times, boards are kind of social clubs for the wealthy, if you will. And uh, again, uh, and having that diversity of thought, econo social economic status, um, perspective and background is so important to, to have that diversity. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about you know solving that problem. How do we get more diversity? And I, I'm going to cite uh, a board source study. Board source, uh, the DC-based nonprofit that focuses on on empowering board governance, recently conducted a survey of more than 800 public charity CEOs and board chairs. The survey was published in their leading with intent study. Some of the results were quoted in the transformational article published this year by Ann Wallastad, president and CEO of BoardSource. Uh, and it's called, that uh, article is called The Four Principles of Purpose-Driven Board Leadership. Um, the survey that was done in connection with that article found that 78% of board members are white and 19% of boards are all white. And boards lacking in racial, ethnic diversity self-report that their board's racial, ethnic makeup negatively impacts their ability to understand the organization's operating environment and work. So let's talk about that. What are some of the systematic problems? What are the problems with the system that make this happen? Yeah. And I'm familiar with this. that. Re yeah, that report. And in fact, uh, shortly after we started Diverse Force on boards, that their first report came out, I think, in 2017, after maybe 20 years of kind of tracking board diversity and recognized that uh, the needle didn't move, you know, over that period of time. And uh, and and it was a really uh, Anne wrote a great article on on that topic as well. And I believe we think about how things have shifted, um, Jen, over the years, especially demographically. Um, there was a time where seventy five percent plus of the population are baby boomers, and it was predominantly a white uh, society. And and we had obviously minor, many black and brown kids who were uh, beneficiaries of some of the social services and some of the nonprofit programs um, after, you know, from 1619 to 1965, when there were mm -hmm. uh, practices, policies and laws that systematically excluded, um, you know, uh, particularly black uh, people from from building wealth. So you can just kind of uh, history, you know, just kind of go through history and, and you can recognize why some of the outcomes that we have today and, and why things were constructed that way. Uh, but you then have gen millennials, which uh, will be 75% of the population in the workforce by 2025. 44% of the millennial population are people of color, are non-white. Um, so demographic shifts alone have become a key driver for why uh, diversity at every level is critical and um, you, obviously, you have, you've, you've, we've now had breakthroughs for many different areas of professions for, for, for leaders across the board. So the pipeline isn't as much the challenge uh, today as it is uh, kind of the network effect that tends to happen where people tend to, you know, socialize and connect with people that are in their direct networks. And if we've 
had predominantly white boards and and they're reaching out to their friends, family members and colleagues. Many times uh, they're not getting outside of that comfortable network to pull people into these social clubs, if you will, be more thoughtful and intentional. Uh, you know, you, you can have good intent, but it takes intentional action in order Absolutely. to really diversify. So uh, the good thing is that we're seeing those numbers, I, I think it was over 80% uh, before. So the numbers are starting to to shift a bit. So it's good to hear that and a lot more needs to happen. And, and again, programs like Diverse Force on Boards and others that are, are really focused on making sure that there's no reason why organizations cannot find diverse talent. That's not that that won't be the challenge. Uh, now it's just a matter of making sure to make those connections and make those relationships and in the same way, build value and make sure that your organization also is uh, is attractive enough. Um, yeah. Your message is attractive. Make sure that you're inclusive and not tokenizing people and just um, counting heads instead of making sure the heads count, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, when they when they serve on your board. And uh, you can not only attract, but also retain. And I always mm-hmm. say the greatest recruiting tool is a good retention strategy. Uh, you retain good people. They speak highly of you and their networks become your network. And yeah. before you know it, you start to have just a great uh, board of talented people from all different backgrounds that truly fill all the kind of gaps and blind spots that just makes the organization better. You know, so many different studies and research shows that diverse teams just perform better. They outperform, they out you know, outproduce all kinds of things. So we know the business case, if you will, for diversity. Now it's just a matter of taking the action to, to maximize it. That's exactly what was going to be my next question. What is the business case? This is called Mission Business Podcast. So, oh, sure. you know, what is it? You know, what is it about diversity that helps the organization operationally, financially, uh, just everything? You know, function better as yeah. a business. Sure. You know, you just think about the opportunity to tap into new networks that you're probably not tapping into new donors, uh, new uh, just insights and perspectives. So when you think about just the network effect, when you tap into those networks, you think about the employee base. You know, people talk about having a hard time finding talent. Well, it's difficult if you're only looking at, you know, a half of the talent pool. Uh, You're only kind of fishing in a pool that's half the population versus having an opportunity to find great talent across all different um, cultures and, and backgrounds. Uh, so when you have a diverse organization, uh, you're able to not only attract talent, but also recruit that talent and retain that talent as well. So it's from a talent perspective. It's from uh, diverse leaders attract other uh, talent. They retain them longer. Longer, um, They can be good mentors and aspirational role models to, to really help break through new leaders into the market. So, so many different yeah. benefits. And honestly, when you go to the mission side of things, talk about the business mm-hmm. side of things, the mission side of things, having a diverse fo- board and uh, a board that is more in tune uh, and like the constituents that are being served by that organization, I mean, that makes a huge difference. Yeah, smart. Yeah, absolutely. And you think about, you know, as many times organizations are very data-driven, but many times the, the data, you know, depends on who formulated the data and the hypothesis that came before <laughs> you're formulating the data and it influences and many times uh, undervalue lived experiences. We don't realize that we, there's just things that we, we don't see. 
And until you have that light bulb moment, if you will, many times you'll continue doing the same thing. It's kind of like the little girl. I kind of shared a story. The little girl goes to her mom and says, mom, why is it that every year you make the, the roast, you cut the end of the roast before you put it in the oven? <laughs> and her mom says, you know what? I'm not sure. My mother used to do it. Ask, ask your, your grandmom. She asked her grandmom and her grandmom said the same thing. She said, you know, my mother did it when I was young. Ask your great grandmom. And she asked her great-grandma, grandma, great-grandma, why do you cut the end of your roast before you put it in the oven during the holidays? She said, sweetheart, I don't cut the end of the roast. She said, wait a minute. What do you mean? Grandma said you did it when she was younger. She did it when my mom was younger. We still do it today. She said, oh, she said, back then we had a small pan <laughs> and the roast didn't fit. <laughs> so I had to cut the end of the roast. She said, but today oh I get God. my whole roast. I got a bigger pan. And the question is, how many of us, you know, are still cutting the ends off on life, on impact, mm -hmm. on so many different things based on someone yeah. else's old, small pan? And there's so many examples of how we have this persistence of thought, the things that happened, you know, generations ago are still happening today with no real rhyme or reason uh, other than it hasn't been disrupted in a different way of seeing right. it. And we are so lucky in the nonprofit sector to have you, Suleiman, bringing us <laughs> together in this way. To be honest, this is amazing, the amazing work that you're doing. Uh, what do you. you see for the future uh, in board equity and diversity um, in the nonprofit world? Yeah, I, th I just think that there's opportunities for everyone to, to level up from a board perspective. There's a lot more emphasis on the board. Um, there's a lot more risk in and things that are happening externally where boards truly have to step up. Um, you know, there was a time when, you know, organizational culture wasn't as much of a risk to an organization, you know, mm. employees, mm -hmm. you know, uh, having gripes in, 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 in social media uh, where someone does one tweet and all of a sudden you're in a crisis, if you will, uh, about something that happens in the workforce or, you know, different things. So boards have to be a lot more savvy today to to lead uh, acceleration as far as the digital transformation is happening in our world where things are changing very very quickly um, you know everything's changing uh, you know the, the shelf life of skills and all kinds of things are are decreasing so in order for organizations to sustain themselves into the future they have to have people who have that agile kind of digital transformation mindset as well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not only for for-profit but non-profit organizations for them to survive moving forward and how do we navigate this new environment, this kind of fourth industrial revolution. And you think about workforce and how are we preparing people for the future of work and not the past of work as well. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves in a two-class society like, you know, many other yes. countries and societies. So it's so important that we have future thinking leaders, but not just from the same, you know, background and the same, uh, you know, thought process because there's so many blind spots that we need to fill. And we need to equip more people in these in these spaces and put them in the places where they where their presence can be felt as well. Is there anything, Sulman, that I haven't asked you that I should have asked you uh, that you <laughs> want to talk about that that is important for Mission Business Podcast audience to hear? Yeah, you know, I don't often get a chance to kind of tell my story because our mission typically does come from our story. You know, many times mm -hmm. how we grew up, and yes. you know, although you've heard my story getting to University of Pennsylvania, that wasn't really, you know, it was it probably wouldn't be something that would be predicted. You know, having two parents who, you know, first generation who did not go to college. Um, you know, my mother 
got a second chance, an opportunity through a program, a nonprofit organization, and and had an opportunity kind of around 26, 27 to get an entry-level opportunity uh, for the city of Philadelphia and um, gave her the opportunity to move out into a community where there were better schools and then happened to be in, for, you know, in, in white communities in the north, far northeast. Um, so my father was in still in Germantown, the projects in Germantown, and my mother you know, they, they got divorced and, and she's out, we're out in the Northeast, but I was on, on the weekends, um, in the, at the, in the projects in Northfield in the Germantown of Philadelphia. And during the week, I'm in Northeast Philadelphia. And so I was very conscious of race very early. And you find a lot of, you know, black and brown folks who kind of are in these different, you know, in, in, in different communities, you're, they're conscious of race early on and see kind of the, the, the the dichotomy, if you will, are these mm-hmm. these two worlds that we live in. The, you know, the tale of two cities. And at that time, I wasn't able to process why the black community was always had such you know torn down, or you know, not knowing that is the kind of the collateral damage of redlining and all the things that some of the government policies that that left those communities in those in those times. And the fact that I'm in a community that's one percent African American, and how you're also how you're being seen and how you're being spoke to by kids at that time and how you see yourself. So a lot of that shapes you early on and recognize that there, there's a, there's a fine line between poverty and prosperity. You know, there was a, a Jewish family who took me to school during high school, a good friend of mine, Jewish his mother would take me to school and I learned about taking the PSATs and, um, you know, so I took the PSATs and it started with also just me playing football. I was getting, I was an average student had a role model, my, my older cousin who played football and, you know, I thought I was going to go to the NFL and he told me what not to do because he wasn't getting letters to college and his mm-hmm. uh, junior, senior year, he said, Hey, you got to pay attention in class if you want to get to the NFL, if you will. And, uh, so my eighth grade year, I got straight A's after being just an average student mm-hmm. and got straight A's through high school. And, you know, that opened up doors playing football and, and being a decent student, you know, started getting calls from Ivy League schools. Never knew what an Ivy League school was. Um, you know, I thought Penn was university. I thought Penn was Penn State. So I, when the coach <laughs> came to my home and told me he's right down the street, I didn't, I didn't, you know, didn't compute to me. So, yeah. so for me, it's really giving people opportunities that they may have not had access to or exposure, especially young people. There's so many talented folks, young yes. kids who, are just brilliant, but you know, don't have the role models, the possibility models, don't see themselves in in our community. So it was not only to lift uh, our our talent to to be excellent and be in leadership roles, but also make sure that they are exposed, that young people are exposed to them, and we can build the aspirational capital yes. that we need for young people to be on the right path and just have different outcomes. So the direct impact is being on boards the indirect impact is so many different other ways of this underutilized kind of asset that our city has of these black and brown professionals that not only you know should be in leadership roles but also should be the cultural capital the aspirational capital that our young people need for them to be in the boardrooms where decisions are being made that are actually setting the trajectory for the lives of so many people in our city I mean, what an incredible story uh, of your mentorship and uh, the um, 
love that people gave you. They took you mm. under your under their wing, and now mm. you're doing that for so many other people. Uh, and that is that's an amazing story, Suleiman. And uh, I can't you. thank you enough for being with us today, and uh, so appreciate everything uh, that you brought to the conversation. It's Thanks my so much. Thank you. That was my conversation with Suleiman Rahman, CEO of Diverse Force. To learn more about the important work that Diverse Force and Diverse Force on Boards is doing, visit diverseforce.com. Up next, we will hear from YPTC's own Geraldyn Dressler with a fun twist on our Ask the Controller segment. Hello and welcome to Ask the Board Member, a special spin on our Ask the Controller segment. Our guest today is Shane Nelson. Shane is a graduate of Diverse Force on Boards. He is the CEO and co-founder of Reify Solutions, where he manages a portfolio of social impact projects spanning workforce development, philanthropy, and social justice. And he serves as vice president of the board of directors for Friends of Beige Martin, with yours truly, which provides resources to a Philadelphia public school. Shane, thank you so much for being with us today. Carolyn, thanks so much for making the time. I'm so excited. Okay, so Shane, um, tell me, what do you think was the most valuable lesson or perspective that you gained by going through the Diverse Force Onboards program? I think the biggest perspective shift, you know, I experienced by going through the Diverse Force on Boards program was just the fact that it's possible, right? That there are boards and organizations out there that are looking for my leadership, my perspective, my experience, and then filling that need, right, um, to be that new diverse, like, person and perspective in the room and being able to be told that it was possible, not only from different cohort members, but also my instructors as well. It was this constant loop. Um, each class, every time we met up, whether in person or virtual, because we did make that transition that, you know, it's possible and, and I can do this. We've certainly benefited, I think, as an organization from your participation. I remember one of our board members met you at one of the Diverse Force on Boards events, and it was kind of love at first sight or... <laughs> something along those lines. Um, but we have a very diverse K through eight public school in Philadelphia and having our board reflect our community of children that we serve was really important to us. You know, having you come into our world and having that have have been part of the program was really special and I think impactful for the direction that we have taken as a board. Oh man, it's been impactful for me too. So I'm just, I'm super excited. Go team always, go team beige here for it. <laughs> so in Suleiman's interview with Jen, he mentioned the network effect as being a systemic barrier to diversifying boards, meaning that boards have stayed largely white because networks tend to reflect friends, family, and colleagues that board members already know. Can you talk about how that has played out with your own board experience? Oh, definitely. Um, so the network effect is is super real in my life, in my mind, um, and it's something that I you know actively work against, and I, I help my clients navigate that as well. Um, but before joining, you know, different boards of organizations and kind of having that stamp right and that confidence of being a board member, a lot of my network revolved around nonprofit professionals and the higher education space, just by 
trade and by like need, right? That's the network that I needed at the time. And now that I'm you know, fully immersed in board service, I get an opportunity to learn from different corporate professionals and see what some of the things that they're going through and experience those conversations with them. Uh, a lot of my friends are a lot younger, they're new parents. And so getting a chance to hang out with like seasoned parents in the game, I get advice from them and then I pass it over to my friends. And then as well, you know, coming from both a black and brown identity, I've gravitated more to those social groups. And now being a part of different boards has given me the opportunity to network with more white people, to be like quite frank. And having that opportunity has diversified not my network and you know I simultaneously diversify theirs. So we actively, you know, co-conspire and, and work against the network effect for the better. Yeah, that's great. I mean, you know, we've absolutely seen that play out with our own networks through the board that we serve on together. Um, And for me personally, I think, you know, the opposite is true for me. And so it sounds like you've been enriched through this program, not just as a professional, but as an individual, too. And I think that's a really special uh, element that comes out of it. No, definitely. And it's awesome being able to have, you know, access to different communities. So when we witnessed the racial reckoning last year and, you know, ongoing social justice conversations, being able to call different folks, you know, into growth and, you know, have that one-on-one time with them. So they're not going out into the world and, and, you know, perpetuating different things. They have a trusted advisor in me and I get to build that rapport with them, you know, outside of board meetings too. So it's a way to also continue my advocacy and my work, um, which is like a part of my personal mission. So it's fantastic. It is Shane. And you have accomplished quite a lot in your young years. So (laughs) thank you so much for being with us today. I wish we had more time to dive deeper, but I know I'll be seeing you soon. Definitely. Appreciate you having me, Darlin. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Mission Business Podcast. We look forward to bringing you more stories of innovation and perseverance from nonprofits around the world. I want to thank the team at PWP Video for their guidance and assistance in the development and production of this podcast. They are a great partner for media with a mission, and you can find them at pwpvideo.com. Additional information about this episode can be found at missionbusinesspod.com. And follow us on social media at Mission Business Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. A very special thank you to our guests on this episode, Suleiman Rahman and Shane Nelson. This podcast was produced by Erica Blair and Geraldine Dressler of Your Part-Time Controller, LLC. Dave Winston and Michael Schweizheimer are the producers from PWP Video. And the show was directed and edited by Pat Ganley. Again, I'm Jennifer Oliva, and we'll see you here next time on Mission Business, presented by Your Part-Time Controller, LLC.